to issues in rural crime and society. I have uh, Jessica Peterson with, uh, here with me today to discuss um, issues in qualitative research in rural spaces. Uh, Jess, do you want to just briefly introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are? Yeah, uh, my name is Jessica Peterson. I am currently an assistant professor at the University of Nebraska at Kearney um, here in Nebraska. And I'm my research, which, uh, or my dissertation research, which I have been finishing up and been in that process for a little bit here, um, is focuses on rural policing. Um, specifically, I looked at Texas, rural Texas law enforcement and the sorts of informal things that they do to handle youth offenders um, and how that context, that rural context affects their decision making. Um, so most of my research interests focus on policing broadly and then more recently I'm very interested in rural communities and, and, and crime that takes place in those places. <laughs> Awesome. I know this is about qualitative research methods in rural spaces, but can we talk a little bit about that work? Um, yeah. Is there any rural element to the, the, your dissertation and your work there in Texas? Yeah, so I, uh, I spent about four months um, in rural East Texas. Uh, I did ride-alongs with officers that were working at both the city level and the county level. Um, and really the you know goal for those ride-alongs was really just building rapport with officers, uh, getting a feel for the communities. Some of these communities were really impoverished areas. Um, some of them were, they kind of varied in size, but there were some that were as small as, you know, 800 people in these communities. So very small law enforcement locations, uh, lack of resources <laughs> and funding in a lot of these places. Um, so it was kind of for me to get a feel of the land, um, and, and really just get to know these officers. Um, yeah. And then my ultimate research goal was to do interviews with them. So it also kind of helped me yeah, hone build, that, you yeah. know, build Trust. that interview. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Did you yeah. do some ethnography as well as part of that? Were you able to kind of incorporate those experiences into your work? Or was it more just about kind of trying to enter uh, the field, I guess, and gain access to these individuals? Yeah, for this for this project, for my dissertation, it was more about gaining access um, because that's an important topic, I feel like, in yeah. uh, doing qualitative rural research. Yeah. So that's primarily for this project, that's what it was for. It was rapport yeah. building. It was gaining access. Uh, it was more informal observation on my part, not not any kind of formal yeah. ethnographic yeah. work. All right. How... how, how Ride-alongs, eh? It's um, a shame here. Um, I don't want to speak Australia broad because I don't know the regulations Australia-wide, but I know in Victoria, New South Wales, it's not it's not normative here for citizens to have ride-alongs or even researchers. Um, my understanding, talking with Alistair, is that there's a great deal of even when he was in politics, a great deal of uh, approval needed for these kinds of things. Back home, every time I get home, I go on a ride along just just for the experience and just for the learning and just for the observations and just just to kind of reimmerse myself in I guess what I'd call reality uh, of, <laughs> of what it's like for police and what policing is like, uh, particularly in my local neighborhood back home. How, how did you find these experiences? Yeah, I so I mean I started doing ride alongs when I was in uh, undergrad with bigger bigger departments and urban yeah. areas. Um, and 
comparing those, the process of getting into do ride-alongs with an urban area and a rural area, very different. Um, because, you know, in the urban locations, they're used to that. They're yeah. situated near researchers, universities, and they kind of, it's, it's a routine, you know, and they, they bring you in. It's a very administrative process. Um, in these rural locations, it was like, wait, what are you? Are you a reporter? Like, what are you doing here? Do why you are want? you here? Yeah. What do you care? Why? Yeah. What, what's your angle? <laughs> it was very much. Mm. Um, so there, you know, on some parts, there was a little bit of distrust at first. Um, and I mean, I even had some of the like, okay, if, if I'm going to do these ride-alongs, do I need to sign some type of waiver, you know? And it was either, now nah, let's shake on it. Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. or, yeah, here, I just hand wrote this contract, yeah. sign this, and this will be not good. To sue me. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very, very different, um, much more laid back approach. As long, yeah. basically, it was kind of if, if I, if they trusted me enough to let me in, then that was yeah. kind of it. You know, yeah. it, you didn't have to go through all the bureaucratic red tape <laughs> of getting there. So it's interesting then speaks to what we're here to talk about, that qualitative research methods in rural spaces and um, speaks to how it differs uh, in rural spaces. Um, access here yeah. was very different for you, depending on whether you're in an urban environment or a rural environment. Can you speak a little bit more to that experience? Yeah, um, I so there are. <sighs> Both, I guess the advantage to doing this type of research in rural areas is really that, that you don't have the bureaucratic stuff to deal with. Um, but the downside is you, it, it's really based on kind of their perception of you as a person. So yeah. it, I, whereas an working with an urban department it's kind of a routine this is what we're supposed to do this is we're we're willing to work with you because this is an understood partnership yeah in rural spaces it's more about if we like you mm. if you if we don't think you're here to just try to do something negative make us look bad or yeah. you know you have some kind of bad intentions for being here yeah. um as long as you kind of establish your reputation it's an easier process. It's just yeah. that part can be difficult, right? And, and I'm almost an outsider. Like, <laughs> almost like the urban is, is you know, paperwork-based and the rural is trust-based. Yes. Yeah. Yes, very much so, very much so. Um, Did you have and, any experience with the uh, broader dynamics of policing in the United States interfering in that trust relationship? That is, given uh, the last couple of years and obviously the decades and, and issues that have arose, did you notice it more hesitance uh, and that trust gap being larger? Like you, you already alluded to, what are you here for? Kind of, are you here to make us look bad? Is, do you find yeah. that elevated concerns? Um, I, I did a little bit. Um, and actually that affected how I, the types of questions I asked in my interviews. Mm -hmm. um, I chose for this particular project to, uh, not focus, a, a component of my research was not asking about race and ethnicity of people that they dealt with mm. um, because there's that, especially in some of these rural, rural areas, this initial pushback of anytime race or ethnicity comes up, it's kind of a fear response mm. of, oh, we just don't want anything to do with this because. Yeah. Avoid the subject altogether. Yeah. So um, that was kind of interesting. Uh, and 
yeah, I mean, it was, um, you had mentioned something that I was, that had triggered something in my mind, but it's kind of escaped me at the moment. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, there certainly, because of kind of uh, just the, the rhetoric here in the U.S., um, yeah. the, the time frame uh, that we were in, this was Political pre-COVID, yeah. pre-COVID, but post-Ferguson here in the yeah. U.S. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's certainly a lot of concern over uh, what exactly my intentions were mm. and kind of, until I was able to establish that um, I myself am from a rural area, I come yeah. from a law enforcement family, those things kind of helped uh, establish myself as a, a little less threatening, I think. Yeah, a, little, a little bit of an insider or at least an ability to understand at that level. Yeah, mm. gave me a little bit more of that because otherwise, um, you know, you're somebody coming from the big liberal city, yeah. <laughs> right? Coming yeah. to some of these really traditional conservative yeah. small areas. So yeah, uh, uh, big, big difference there. <laughs> it's interesting. And I, I wonder, and it sounds like, like it could be a barrier to try to get at a lot of these underlying issues in the sense that if the kind of hackles go up right away, not necessarily out of fear of engaging with the subject matter, but fear of the consequences of engaging with that subject matter, I imagine it can it can shape the type of research that that one is able to do then in the in this particular environments as well. Yeah, and and like I said, since this was my dissertation research, I chose purposefully to yeah. just focus on let them tell me the things that were important to them. Yeah. Certainly, I think that it's definitely worth exploring yeah. racial and ethnic differences and how that plays in as well. Yeah. Um, but I decided that that would be something I would pursue in kind of a, a you know, future endeavors. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. It was, <laughs> to not jeopardize my rapport and things like that yeah. with them. Yeah. Just, just to getting that experience. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting and speaks to kind of, navigating your environment and qualitative research and the ins and outs of, of, of engaging with your participants and, and building rapport and things like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, through that kind of rapport building, I mean, it's interesting because, uh, you know, your, I, I mentioned your reputation is important. Um, there were departments that by the time I got to some of the officers in those departments, they had heard of me already not yeah. from people in their department, but from officers in neighboring communities who knew about this researcher coming around um, and were like, oh, yeah, I talked to officer in such and such county, you know, next door and yeah. he told me about you or something, you know, so it's, it's, it's like, ooh, what, what you do <laughs> travels. Yeah. yeah, quickly. And I found that experience yes. very much myself. It's like... Um, I guess typically here it's very different because the way the police forces are structured, but uh, mm -hmm. working with, with, I guess, more centralized, uh, urbanized uh, police, it's like, you know, the bureaucracy is what allows or prevents you from undercaring a certain type of research. Whereas yeah. in the rural spaces, um, especially speaking with Alistair about this, it's, it's very much gatekeeper specific, almost like when you'd work with traditional subcultures or cr crime subcultures or things like that. They have primary gatekeepers. And for us, I found was 
building rapport with specific gatekeepers, you know, the head of the police union or, um, mm-hmm. you know, the head of a particular team or something like that. And, and then word travels that, oh, okay, this, this person's okay. You know, they, they, yeah. they, they, you know, uh, want to, uh, you know, address crime in rural communities and, and, you know, they, they're, they're, they're not going to hurt us, I guess, so to speak, which again, yeah. speaks back to, uh, I think what something that's really interesting and I'm not sure, I'm sure it has been explored in the literature is, how participants then reshape the research uh, back in that you avoid certain things, you know, and, and, and by doing yeah. so, you know, kind of, I guess, could sell certain aspects of the research short, but otherwise you would not be able to get that access. And then hopefully yes. over time through building that rapport, you could touch mm-hmm. on the more sensitive subject matters. I'm finding that as well in, in, in my yes. research spaces that, now I can have often off the record, but conversations about more sensitive subject matter because I've built up that trust as someone who is not there to attack, but is there to really learn and try to progress crime in rural communities and address these types of issues working together with, with the police or whoever it may be. Exactly. And from a research perspective, it's a give and take. I mean, it's like a, how much do I, Mm. I I know I want to get this information. That means that in order to kind of build that rapport and trust first, I might have to hold back on certain things. And so it's kind of a trade-off sometimes. But um, I think what you're saying is very, yeah, very true that once you kind of continue to build that relationship, um, it opens up some of the things that you can then ask about because you've already been vetted as okay (laughs) or not here to, uh, you know, here to learn and work with practitioners, not just to out to, you know, smear them all over whatever, a newspaper or something. Yeah. Yeah. Initiatives. Yeah. This speaks to, I guess, kind of aspects of embodiment and culture and all these types of things and how they play into Uh, I guess the presentation of self in qualitative research spaces in another Mm -hmm. life. um, I, uh, on weekends, uh, um, um, (laughs) do research into issues on steroids and enhancement drugs and things like that. (laughs) Um, Just something very, I've always been interested in and and, and I publish in that area and and do research in there. And one paper that we wrote together with six colleagues was uh, a paper for a qualitative journal that's still going through the review process, of course, uh, from a very long time now. But what it did was we all had done research with steroid users as well Mm -hmm. as steroid traffickers, so people selling steroids and things like that illegally. But we were all very different, um, particularly in ethnicity, in body composition, in attitudes, in culture. So there's a Dutch researcher, a Danish researcher, there was an African-American, Caucasian, you know, there was female, male, there was people with athletic physiques and people with not so much athletic physiques, people who Mm -hmm. grew up in the sporting environment and knew a lot about bodybuilding and people who were clearly, you know, researchers and read a lot of books. And what was really interesting, one of the outcomes of this is that we were all successful in engaging our participants and in getting data, but we all kind Mm -hmm. of navigated spaces in in very different ways based on those characteristics. And so I wonder how these kinds of dynamics apply to rural spaces as well, particularly when that, that notion of outsiders is so important and established. Yeah. I think that one of the things that I kind of came to understand was um, on the outset some of those things that you're talking about, those, those things that might automatically make you an insider or outsider, there are some that are visible and there are some that are very much not visible. Um, you know, your political identity, your, 
sexual orientation, those sorts of things are not visible when you're first there. So you can kind of hide those things if they differ from the community you're in. Um, But yeah, I mean, the fact that I was going in as a uh, feminine presenting woman into the space, um, you know, there certainly was an apprehension at first that I think really revolved around that because I could see when it changed. Mm -hmm. Um, At first it was kind of a, you know, almost stoic and, like not really wanting to engage much. And some of that is, is across the board until you get to know somebody. Right. Um, But there was, you know, there's when that wall started coming down, that was, you know, after riding with riding along and talking with them. And then there was the other, the next layer where now we'll say uh, sexually explicit jokes in front of Mm. you, you know, (laughs) or like things like that, where now you're, more one of the boys too in some senses so it was like another layer of that insider outsider thing when i'm in a male dominated field and particularly in these rule spaces Mm. i mean there were a few female officers that i came across traditional roles would be stronger yeah oh yeah yeah going back to the example of in bodybuilding communities it's obviously extremely masculine spaces yeah. and uh, speaking with uh, particularly one of the female researchers who was very deeply embedded, particularly in the trafficking areas and things like that. It was very difficult to be taken seriously. And a lot of it required participatory action. That is bodybuilding themselves and showing that they had high, high levels of knowledge around supplements or steroids or anything like that before they would take him seriously. And even then there was a lot of sexual advances and a lot of yeah. engagement with the research for other purposes. Um, <laughs> the person gave one story, for instance, of where they were at an actual event doing some ethnography invited by people. And they had a, they had a young child with them and they just basically gave her the child for the day. You know what I mean? Out of an expectation like that. So yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting reading that individual's experiences navigating such a highly masculine environment. At the same time, though, they reflected on the capacity for femininity in those spaces to actually work to their advantage and actually to gain access because there wasn't that kind of macho competition. And, you know, yeah, the trust access and levels were great. It was just so fascinating to hear that. And so I imagine, again, these dynamics play as well into, you know, policing subcultures or um, in in rural spaces more generally. Certainly. And I, you know, it it was interesting because... uh, I've talked about how on the outset um, there can be some disadvantage or there, I'd say there's extra layers to get through being a female researcher entering that space. But on the other hand, when I'm doing one-on-one interviews, Mm. I don't know this, but some of the officers would share things that were way more, I mean, they were opening up emotionally much more, than they ever did, even mm. if it was just me and their their friend, another yeah. uh, another male officer who was a friend. You know that it was more joking around yeah. and less yeah. kind of that emotional openness. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you know, I, I perhaps that can be advantageous in that sort of situation where they're yeah. more willing to, you know, when we're talking about kids, for example, yeah. too. I mean, yeah. we're talking about yeah. juveniles and how they're kind of feel parental towards these kids and they're yeah. willing to share that with me. But you wouldn't talk um, about that, you know, amongst a group of yeah, eight other yeah. folks or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So very, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. 
Yes. Well, just talking about some of the challenges, if we can move on to that in quality, although I think thus far it's been a lot about challenges, um, yeah. particularly about identifying rural spaces. Um, you know, how yes. does one go about identifying what a rural space is and how to, you know, engage and enter these spaces? Um, yeah, so I, that's, could we could probably talk forever just on that. <laughs> um, you know, I think it, it, <laughs> It kind of feels like we talk about how rural spaces are not just boiled down to their population, but it mm. kind of feels like we always have to start there yeah. Um, yeah. In, our re in, in defining it for our research, yeah. right? Because it, it kind of, yeah. we have to start, yeah, we have to start somehow around including population in our definition. Um, so I, you know, kind of started with standards when I was doing standards based on, you know, the U.S. Census Bureau here. Um, but I also kind of like that, kind of similar to a, a U.S. Supreme Court's understanding of pornography, the I know it when I see it approach. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think Ralph kind of, said that, didn't he? <laughs> yes, yeah yeah, 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 all of, and that's, it still is the I best. I use that, I use like, that quote in my, <laughs> in my crime, crime 190, crime and rural communities class. What is, what is rural? You know it when you see it. Yeah, you know good. it when you see it. Yeah. yeah, yes. So, I mean, certainly there's an element of that. I was working in areas that, not directly the communities that I'm from, but very near them. So right. I'm familiar with the area. So I had a little bit more kind of social knowledge of what these communities looked like. Yeah. Um, to me, one of the most important elements kind of comes down to that social density, right? The, yeah. the social networks and connectedness between the residents, but that also includes law enforcement. Yeah. That includes yeah. other criminal justice actors. I mean, they knew the people who worked in the school. They knew everybody who worked at the juvenile probation office. You know, yeah. they all know one another. They're, it's all like a big work group yeah. in one community and they Elaine network Barclay with has, has talked a lot about that and that, that dynamic of, you know, being community member and police officer at the same time and how those roles don't differentiate. Talking to a yeah. local officer up here, even in Armadale, it's, you know, it, 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 he's always on the job. You know, he goes into town to get some groceries at Woolies or something and, you know, seven people come up to him, tell him about crime that's occurred, you know, and he'll say, report yes. it, you know, to the station. But a lot yeah. of people still prefer to just, you know, go to the person they trust and report some of those issues and concerns that they have. And so it's constant, yeah. constant kind of on the clock, you know. Oh, yeah. And that's a, a majority of the officers talked about, uh, you know, when they learn about juvenile behavior taking place, deviant, delinquent, whatever, kind of the whole gamut. It comes from calls for service, but also it comes from direct calls to their cell phone from yeah. somebody at the school or yeah. from, you know, so-and-so saw the neighbor kid do X, Y, and Z. And yeah. so they're, yeah. they flag the police officer down as he drives by and says, mm. hey, Johnny did X, by Y, and Z. By the way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, a lot of that. Um, but kind of beyond the, uh, you know, when we're talking about the challenges to conducting rural research here. Once you kind of identify the areas that you're going to approach, uh, I don't think that there's enough said about the physical and emotional fatigue that goes into qualitative research in these areas because, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I put like 10,000 miles on my car in yeah. four months driving 
to and from all these communities because I was going there every day, Monday through Friday, going yeah. to these different communities. And, yeah. you know, I mean, that can, it's something that I don't think you put much thought into if you're working with an urban department that's, you know, two blocks down. Yeah. <laughs> um, very different than when you're making these long trips all day, every day. Uh, maybe only to do one interview that lasts 30 minutes, yeah. you know, like it can be. <laughs> Alistair and I are facing a similar problem right now. What's interesting is when you do funded research, you can incorporate, mm. you know, that into your costs usually and things like that travel. Um, yes. <laughs> a lot of research, as we know, is not funded, uh, particularly, yes. you know, that of an ethnographic nature or that of a kind of exploratory nature. And so we've mm -hmm. got absolutely amazing access uh, to rural police up here and have been allowed that access um, uh, to do this research, unfunded research, and we're just figuring out how we're going to fund our, our, what we call our New South Wales road trip. Um, it's a massive <laughs> state. We're going to go all over the state. We're just doing some calculations of staying in kind of rural motels and just the driving, the sheer driving alone from place to place, the cost of petrol, like all these types of things. And it's, it, it's, it gets up to, you know, the several thousands of dollars very, very quickly. Um, and so we'll find a way to fund it. But I think one interesting component of that is how, uh, I think for a lot of research, this happens anyways, but how research then becomes a bit of an out-of-pocket expense as well. Um, oh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's basically, that'll be my vacation for the year, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it will be a New yes. South Wales road trip. And I think staying in the little local motels, <laughs> which, which honestly, I can't wait to do. Uh, it, it does sound like a vacation for me. It sounds like an absolute blast, but it's still, yeah. I think it's just because I'm so into and committed to this aspect of the work, but it's, I think yeah. that says something about doing, doing research in rural spaces as well. And the, the on costs, I guess, of, of just sheer geography uh, uh, that adds to the mix. Yeah. Well, and even things like, um, you know, some of these communities that I was going to, you know, they only have gas stations that are yeah. open for a set number of hours. So if you're going to be there overnight, you need to make sure you get gas at a certain time. I mean, little things that you have yeah. to think about extra or, you know, I didn't have cell phone service the yeah. majority of the time yeah, I was yeah, out so there. So at least like, the US know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, the U.S. interstate system is phenomenal and you can yes. kind of get everywhere. <laughs> New South Wales is, uh, I guess, more Not like Canada much. in that sense. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, you've got your areas focused around certain places that, uh, you know, have beautiful highways and roads, and then it's just the bush. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, a bit <laughs> difficult to get some places. Luckily, we got a four-wheel drive yeah. to get us there, but it's, yeah. Yes. Also, other dynamic, and that, that cell phone thing, too, is, yeah, you'll drive hours with just... Not, not reception, you know, it's yeah. uh, not happening. So you got to have, you know, the extra safety equipment and things like that when you travel, yeah. um, which adds another layer and element to travel in rural spaces. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of those little things, I guess I, you know, hadn't necessarily, it's not something you see in a book on methods when mm. you're reading about different types of methods or how to prepare for engaging in qualitative work. Yeah. Uh, these little things that mean a lot <laughs> to rural researchers um, aren't really, you know, discussed in your yeah. typical methods book. This might um, be a good segue into talking about your new methods book that's forthcoming because I know Alistair, yes. myself, and Joe have written a chapter for that. Yes. And we've touched on some of those issues. Ours was a quantitative-based, um, um, how does one go about doing quantitative survey-based research in rural spaces? But a lot of these dynamics apply again. So 
Alistair had to go physical copy to access his, his uh, because this was done four years ago. Obviously, that's the, the online space has changed dramatically in that time, mm-hmm. but that he was kind of had to pivot very quickly. And that meant very expensive to print and postage and all these types of things. Yes. I had my survey in the age of COVID. And so I was uh, uh, kind of more or less forced to do online uh, only in the beginning. And it would have flopped entirely had it not been for probably a year of legwork in communicating with different networks and organizations that this survey was forthcoming and would they participate. And actually, again, it wasn't just a cold email. It was I had to get through uh, an organization that I had a very strong rapport with. And then they said, Mm -hmm. oh, this person's good. You know, this, this research is important. And then they said to the next person, they said to the next person, and so and vouch for you all the way. Yeah, and so yeah. if it wasn't for this network of really key organizations, I would have never got the responses. There's, there's just no way, I, you know, putting a link out into Twitter or onto Facebook, or I even at the end, just to increase at the last minute, because I did have some budget left over because an online survey is also cheaper, uh, yes. did some Facebook <laughs> advertising and it did okay, but the cost okay. to cost to um, uh, return ratio is not that great because it's very expensive compared to the network disseminating this was just so much more powerful uh, and and just so fantastic and just speaks to these uh, again uh, issues in in rural communities of doing this type of work but going back to the more interesting topic I think can you tell us a little bit about this this forthcoming book? Yes um, so it's this book that myself and a couple other editors are working on is going to be focused on rural research methods. Um, so it, it, it covers kind of a pretty broad spectrum, um, both looking at, you know, if we're dividing it by quantitative and qualitative, um, looking at things like uh, different types of issues and spaces that you might be working in doing, using these types of methods. Um, my chapter that I'll be contributing focuses all on access, uh, both not just, so I guess primarily kind of qualitative access if you're going, you know, we're doing qualitative work and you have to be working in those spaces. But even if you're doing quantitative work, things like distributing surveys, yeah. still this, this idea of access is not just there for you to go grab. You yeah. kind of have to go through these gatekeepers or, you know, have someone vouch for you, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I think that this, we've got a lot of great contributors who've done a lot of work in rural spaces um, and they just bring to light some of these things that uh, the, the unique elements to conducting research mm. in rural spaces and around rule information that's not as easily accessible as it might be if it is in urban spaces or kind of in the, um, not even just in urban spaces, but just in the mainstream, yeah. uh, you know, uh, yeah. easily accessible. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to be really helpful for uh, also just kind of spreading awareness about mm. rule research. Yeah. It's kind is it, of up is it and kind coming, of first but, of its kind. Do you know anything on um, rural research specifically in such a large edited volume like this? Um, not to this extent, no. I mean, this, you know, certainly individuals who work in the rural space yeah, obviously will talk about, this, yeah. about you know, will have talked about this sort of thing. Um, but this is not, like I said, incorporated in any kind of mainstream yeah 
publication where you can kind of go and say, I'm interested in rule. What do I need to expect? What are the challenges yeah. I'm going to face in trying to do this kind of research? So this is bringing that to one place yeah. um, for, for people who might be interested in trying to pursue this area. That's awesome. Be very helpful for, uh, I always say in everyone's a rural criminologist. And what that means is that there's so many topics that, 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 uh, that are you know, generalized, for instance, drug use that can then be, you know, a lens of rural can be applied to that issue. And I've seen, you know, many, many uh, people who are part of the Center for Rural Criminology wouldn't identify as rural criminologists, but they've done some element of rural crime research. And so these kind of books will be absolutely amazing for people looking to bridge into rural spaces, as well as for students and, and, and graduate students looking to do this type of research. Can you tell me yeah. what the exact title of the book and, and maybe when it'll, it'll roughly be published? So we are looking to have it published um, actually this year. I believe September is when our goal is. Um, and our title is, I believe, <laughs> may have to. Might, might slightly little. change? Okay, yeah. yeah might, like might slightly change here. Um, I, I, we just have it as rule research methods as yeah, of right okay. now. Um, and it's with, but, with which publisher? It is with um, Taylor and Francis. Yeah. Um, it's who our contract is, is with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, they're under Rutledge. Ah, right on. That's fantastic. Do you guys have a cover yet? Because I could pop it up on the screen. We do not have a cover okay. yet. All right. If you give it's... me some more information when I do publish this video, I can put it under. Perfect. I'm sure people will be really fascinated to follow. Once the actual book comes out, I could even put the link there. And um, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Interesting for people. Yes. <laughs> One thing I'd like to go to is um, you touched on it, and that is the kind of emotional element involved in this type of research. Can you speak to, to a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, um, I think both the emotional element involves both uh, fatigue <laughs> as yeah. well as um, what I believe are the advantages and positives of conducting this type of research. Um, the fatigue coming from one, just the amount of time, right? Mm -hmm. And I think from a researcher perspective, we also get to this um, space where we kind of, we want to maximize our days. We want to maximize our productivity. Um, and if you're spending your time in a rural space, uh, some of that time might just be building rapport. Right? Yeah. Some of that time that you're spending there might not be, you might not have an aha, wow moment in your research, mm -hmm. but you have spent your entire day doing that. Yeah. So at times, I think it, it requires a little bit of managing of your own expectations as a researcher on yeah. what your goal for being there is. Mm -hmm. And not every day or every experience you have is going to be some kind of mind blowing breakthrough or something breakthrough yeah. experience. Yeah. Mm. Some of, I mean, some of it is building this rapport for future endeavors. And yeah. that kind of also leads into, for me, something that I see as a huge advantage to conducting research, qualitative research in these spaces is once you are in these networks, yeah. it opens up so many opportunities for you. The yeah. partnerships, I mean, they're, amazing and you can go back to them and if you've been kind of vouched for mm. <laughs> those opportunities expand yeah. um and for me being someone who's you know from a rural space um someone who's very interested in doing research that gives a voice to people that i don't feel have much of a voice this is mm -hmm. a prime area for that i mean yeah 
we know that rural individuals are not always uh, included yeah. <laughs> in, in some of the mainstream yeah, literature. No, no. So, yeah, I can definitely align with that view. I've never done work. A lot of my previous work was very theoretical and abstract and, and I mm -hmm. enjoyed the thought exercises, but I always felt I was missing something and I've never done work that I've felt so kind of emotionally committed to and actually yeah. so happy about. And uh, I think yes. a lot of that has to do with the situation in New South Wales, farmers facing, uh, you know, drought and now bushfires and now flooding and mental health yeah. issues associated with all that. And it's just, um, yeah, some of the best parts of that was the survey. Obviously, I had to attach my office phone number to it for ethics reasons. And mm -hmm. wouldn't believe how many farmers rung me up just for a chat. And a few of them I'd be on yeah. the phone for, for hours with and putting a voice to the statistics was, was very heavy at some points emotionally as well. Like, yes, you know, hearing one farmer saying, and because a lot of people scoff too, particularly at farm crime, like who cares a couple of cattle taken or, you know, some machine taken, but to hear someone's anxiety around someone creeping around their shed at three in the morning and how that yeah. caused them to fear of a bit for their kids and cause them to wake up every day for the next three weeks at three in the morning and turn on the porch light and check the sh you know what I mean and it's like yeah. that, that, that emotional toll but anyways I can totally yeah understand that emotional element I think that goes back to a lot of that level of engagement and rapport that you have to build in the first place those relationships and you have to maintain that element of reflexivity and distance but it's 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 tricky and it's very interesting yeah yeah and and you mentioned that having people you know call you up to chat or, you know, these sorts of things. I mean, I, even with, you know, from law enforcement, just when I've talked about these findings, you know, from my dissertation research and just talked about what I experienced, um, I have had multiple officers come up to me and say, this is stuff that like, I've been talking or thinking about some of mm. this and I, but I've never heard anyone in the research like from a scientific you know yeah. or research or university orientation talk about us mm -hmm. like i've never yeah. heard us and our experiences represented in this way yeah. and so it's it goes back to that it feels like you are doing something that's useful you are giving a voice yeah. <laughs> to some of these people who feel like feel themselves like they're not being represented even if they're not engaged in academic research or literature they still feel kind of you know yeah. on the outskirts and so it's it's really yeah. uh, rewarding to feel like you're doing yeah. something that 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 people care about <laughs> yeah. you know speaking of feeling unheard too that's why we took a gamble i mean an 88 question survey is a huge no-no you know like <laughs> i don't know how many times i've started a survey or something i've interested in like no this is more than five questions i'm out yeah 88 yeah. questions is intense and our response yes. rate was absolutely fan fantastic because we took a gamble that these people want to be heard. You know, they want yes. to be heard about these issues. And sure enough, their voice was loud and strong, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of the stories, it's, it's, they're like, yeah, yeah. They, they yeah, the just kind wanted of scribbled someone... qualitative elements of the surveys were sometimes yeah. the most interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Well, one thing I definitely want to touch on a little bit further as well is that cultural element to the rural, which we've touched on in a few different ways. Um, mm -hmm. And it crosses a number of domains. So obviously I have law enforcement family as well. You've got a law enforcement family. And I found that that has really helped uh, yeah. gain access to those communities because, you know, I kind of know the lingo. I know the experience. I know the other pressures, the internal pressures and things like that, that they have to cope mm -hmm. with as well as the external. Um, 
going to farming, I'm obviously not a farmer. I have no farming background. The other element of one of my issues was I'm not Australian. I'm Canadian and we use a lot of different terminology. Uh, even if I knew that terminology around farming, it was probably different. And so I very much was a cultural outsider. I grew yeah. up in a, well, what we call a, um, um, a urban environment, a rural urban environment mix. So I had some experience, but uh, anyway, so a lot of those cultural elements were, were missing for me, um, not only, you know, being a Canadian in Australia, but also not a farmer. And so I had to really learn, you know, the lingo and, and, and try to shore up that element a lot. Have you had that kind of experience in the world? I guess you come from a small town and things like that. So that helps as well. Yeah. And it, that's, it's interesting because if, if you have some of the, some of those elements that make you familiar, then kind of everything else just comes with it as an assumption. And yeah. what I mean by that is, you know, I am, I, I, you know, I certainly used the fact that, yeah, I'm from these areas. I'm used to this. We, you know, as a kid, I explored some of these areas yeah. because yeah. I'm from this place. Um, and having those similar childhood experiences, similar understandings about what it's like to grow up in a rural community, um, yeah. having law enforcement, being part of law enforcement family, all of that really helped me um, establish rapport. But beyond that, things that, uh, that would differentiate me, um, culturally speaking, from some of these individuals, never came up because those two elements were so strong. It yeah, just kind of all the other elements just faded. It to, was just, yeah. it was assumed that I held the same political beliefs and yeah. that I <laughs> held the same religious beliefs. Yeah. And it was just never questioned because yeah. I fit those other cultural elements. Surely, so. yeah, surely, you were, surely <laughs> if you were a law enforcement family from a small community, your religious and political beliefs would align. Yes. Yeah. yeah so yeah. And, in a way it was, um, I didn't have to even explore any of that. It was kind of just, Oh, I'm accepted. That's what I was actually going to try to get this into as well. One of the biggest clear indicators, whether it be with Trump, but as well as my research in Canada is that divide between the urban and rural on a political and values level is dramatically increasing. Um, and what this means for crime and punishment is also very interesting. And so I, I think often about how, how does that align then with, um, I think, academics who, you know, the research is well established are overwhelmingly kind of liberal or progressive in their orientations. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that particularly as um, political divisions become so salient, especially in the United States, how that will then enter into trying to progress research in traditional areas or areas that may have very different political outlooks. Yeah, I think that um, increasingly it would be very difficult to, and I'm speaking about, you know, from the uh, U.S. context, yeah, um, yeah. but coming from a major university um, or a university that's in Chicago, L.A., Boston, yeah. um, I, don't, I think it would be very difficult to come from one of those places and try to go be yeah. a rural researcher. Yeah. Um, if you're, I'm in rural Nebraska, um, you know, I'm from these areas, those sorts of things. I think, again, those assumptions come along with that. I mean, there were, yeah. there were multiple times that assumptions were made. I mean, I, I had a, a, an officer say like, 
oh, I'm so glad to see a good conservative Christian girl going into mm. um, to teach in academia. academia. I'm like, yeah, I yeah. never said I, I never said any of that. It was just an assumption made yeah. based on me being from this area. Yeah. Um, so if that you know that is the outlook, um, mm. if I had come from Berkeley, California, I don't think that. <laughs> I would have necessarily yeah. uh, been able to. You would have been quickly prejudged on on your your political views. Yeah. Yes, because this it, idea of urban encroachment and yeah. especially politically speaking, and that you know the way that urban police and the way that urban communities view law yeah. enforcement is yeah. separate from us. Our yeah. community likes us here, you know, so very yeah. different We're ideas. Yeah. We're back to those social dynamics again. I find though, mm-hmm. it's a bit of a two way street in that, in that obviously conservative views, I think are, are, are much less prevalent in academic circles. I think there's certain pushes to, ignore or push those to the margins because of that increasing divide like if you're a conservative i don't want to talk to you kind of thing that seems to be increasing and what jeopardy you know kind of that has on a growing divide between the rural and urban when when you know we need to talk to the rural and therefore um i don't know the words to use here but respect an individual's identity and respect um i know this is a bit of a taboo kind of uh, uh, um line these days but viewpoint diversity that is understanding that people have different opinions and views Mm -hmm. and that those can be valuable in understanding social dynamics in rural communities crime outcomes responses to crimes and things like that well and and related to that i think some individuals felt comfortable because i because of that divide that I was still from kind of an academic yeah. background, they felt comfortable sharing with me things like, oh, you know, I actually don't care about things like, um, you know, if somebody's, for example, I mean, keep in mind, you know, the communities I'm in, I don't actually care if somebody's Muslim, <laughs> for example, sharing something like that with me yeah. or like, I don't really care if people are gay. Yeah. Like those kinds of things. It was almost like, I can actually tell you these things that I'm not, you know, completely, all of my views don't align with one ideal. I have different thoughts about different social issues and I feel more comfortable sharing that with you because you're not in my community. So there was some of that too. It also exposes the kind of silliness of that dichotomy too, of polarization of political views. People aren't, you know, Democrats or Republicans, usually there are some, especially they're the loudest on Twitter, I think. But you know, generally, <laughs> pe- people are fairly nuanced. And I guess mm-hmm. if you get to that level of access, um, you can start to discover and explore some of those nuances, especially yeah. when it's separate from a subculture that demands or, or requires specific presentations of individuals. Yes, yes, very much so. And I think that especially for rural communities, when we do have um, these assumptions and stereotypes about all rural areas and all residents who live there, this gives not, I mean, going back to that, giving a voice to them, but not just allowing their voice to be heard, but showing that there is, there Space. is, you know, diversity in mm. opinion and yeah. it's not just a single monolithic culture yeah. there. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, there are differences. People have different opinions and ideas there too. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And having space for other opinions is so important so that we can have those conversations, you know, to, to progress uh, uh, debate and discussion and hopefully towards uh, more positive ends, I think. Yes. Yep. I yeah. So. Speaking of kind of access and things like that, it's, it's also, I mean, I've been very lucky. You, you talked about the location of universities and mm-hmm. UNE is, uh, it's, I couldn't believe they had a university uh, so far <laughs> out in, in the rural and I, I absolutely yeah. love it, but I'm also, I'm also very lucky at, at the kind of groundwork that was laid before in that because of people like Elaine Barclay or Carrie Carrington or uh, Russell mm-hmm. Hogg, John Scott, those types of people that were at UNE that laid the foundation of UNE as a place um, for rural work and rural research, it's that they, they, there's actually a positive element of credibility associated with that, that also engender some access and things like that. So I find that uh, kind of aligns with your point there of, of it'd be very difficult for someone from, you know, UC Berkeley or, or something like that, just because of the automatic assumptions that would be made. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, one thing that I, I, I like about my institution. I mean, for the area, we kind of are the big city for yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, very, yeah. very rural out in Nebraska yeah, here. Um, yeah. Armadale but, is the, the center of New England. So <laughs> Yeah, so, but we do have a lot of those uh, kind of working partnerships that extend out to the smaller communities, which yeah. kind of establishes us as a, a safe university to work with. Yeah. Um, so it's great being a part of something like that if you're yeah. doing rural research. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the last few things we want to cover is these elements. You, you did touch on them, but the importance of this type of research for the purpose of giving a voice to individuals that uh, I think are experiencing a lot of stress and a lot of issues and a lot of problems uh, in addition to crime and giving a voice to these people and, and, and allowing them to be heard through our research. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, just um, kind of along the lines of, I mean, for me, it aligns with the rewards in this type of work. Um, you know, I think that career-wise, this is a, a an expanding field that's finally starting to get some attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which I so I think that career-wise, if you're interested in these spaces, it's a great time to get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that for these, for the the people who live in these communities, it's also like I had mentioned this to you before, but this idea of humanizing the hillbilly. Mm. Um, and like we said, this applies to not just actors in criminal justice agencies. It applies to victims who live in yeah. rural areas. It applies to um, everybody that's yeah. there. I mean, because we do have these stereotypes and in our media, it's either, you know, oh, they're simple minded people yeah. or they're the deranged, uh, you know, chainsaw massacre yeah. people who prey on people who get lost yeah. from the cities yeah. you know walter, it's, it's uh, kind of walter de Cesaretti has talked about that that latter point that kind of um hillbilly you know and, and the pop culture yeah. kind of capitalizing on this horrification i think and pornification of rural culture he called it and yeah 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 and and so working not only working with these individuals do you Um, start to see the complexities of these people and can apply that or attribute that meaning to some of the data we see. Um, But also I think it's the more we get this type of research out into the mainstream, 
um, it will maybe hopefully <laughs> the, the goal is for it to um, speak to those stereotypes. And again, mm. just add that human element to these communities so that they're not in a, a polarized society seen as one kind of, you know, stuck in one category of being unintelligent or of yeah. being all one way or, um, or being creepy, <laughs> you yeah. know, going back yeah. to the, the horror film kind of yeah. approach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that as a as a researcher, it's incredibly rewarding to 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 see movement towards trying to change those sorts of things. Yeah, I know the United States is absolutely massive, so maybe you can just talk about you know, Nebraska, Texas, or uh, elsewhere, Indiana, and things like that. But one thing that I found very shocking coming to Australia is actually the level of of uh, I guess cultural resonance and importance that farmers and farming has here. And I think that's a historical uh, thing with, the, with, the, with Australia, but you know, the, 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 the plight of farmers and the concerns of farmers, no doubt access to services and things like that. Yes, of course, are abysmal in rural places and they still have all the problems, but at that kind of level of nationalistic identity almost, it's, they have a very important place in Australian culture. At least that's what I see from the outside. And so, you know, the drought, uh, you know, there's massive rallies around supporting farmers. These current floods, you know, there's government uh, yeah. um, um, policy going through to help with some alleviation. And there's just a lot of, I guess, the kind of cultural ethos of the farmer is, is very strong here. And I find that so fascinating. What's that like uh, uh, where you are? I think, um, well, sometimes, I mean, certainly I see a lot of that here in Nebraska. Um, and in Texas, a lot of the areas that I was in, I mean, they're very agricultural driven. There's a lot of, um, you know, some of those areas are, are big um, cattle areas where they raise cattle and they usually kind of move on to the western part of the state yeah. um, to, to, you know, be fattened up for, yeah. for slaughter and things of that nature. Um, but you have a lot of the, you know, cattle being raised in kind of the eastern part of the state where I was. Um, but Texas in and of itself also kind of just has a a, a pride. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I think everybody knows that even if you're not from Texas. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and there is, so there's certainly that element that, um, distinguishes Texas, I think, a little bit more because yeah. it's just being a Texas sheriff is yeah. such a, it's such a badge beyond the badge. Yeah. Like it is a badge of honor in and of itself to be yeah, a Texas yeah. it's so sheriff big even in, in Texas. pop culture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so there's certainly a, a difference, um, you know, working in Texas versus working here in Nebraska where it's, 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 it's more about a collective, um, mm agriculture collective worker hard worker attitude whereas texas you also have the the kind of snarky texas yeah. pride we're better than everyone else yeah. <laughs> thing going yeah. on as well yeah. but um yeah so some differences between those two areas i certainly uh as far as the type of research i want to do i'd like to see some of those differences by yeah. replicating the research in other parts of the country yeah. because certainly yeah. the uh pacific northwest there are a lot of really remote areas there yeah. Um, but culturally quite different than rural Texas or yeah. the rural Midwest. So yeah, very, very strong state-based identities. Yes, yeah. very much so. 
Yeah. Yeah. Australia has them as well. I, I haven't really discovered the nuances of them, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think there are some pretty strong state-based identities, you know, between like Queensland and New South Wales and, and things like that. But as a newbie, I'm very much just discovering them. Speaking yeah. of that, that, that cultural access and newbiness again, going back to that survey we had is I, I, I ensured that I piloted it to a group uh-huh. of farmers before releasing it. Uh-huh. just to ensure that the kind of cultural lingo was correct, you know, that I was, you know, that they used the word mustering, for instance, that they call a particular thing something. And I got corrected mm-hmm. on a number of things. And it was such a valuable exercise in ensuring that your work is kind of culturally competent before it goes out there, because it yes. would probably just turn them off immediately. It's, what is this? Some American yeah. research? I always get called an American. Yeah. <laughs> so some American researcher is, you know, looking for something. And so, yeah, that, that cultural nuances are so important. Yes. On yeah. the other uh, hand, uh, like we're saying uh-huh. that it, it gives you different ways in, I think also being an outsider, not only just at the, the farming culture, but particularly being a Canadian, they often want to tell me about Australia or their particular part of Australia. Sometimes it's history and it's experiences and farming. And so again, some doors are a bit harder to open, but other doors then do open because of certain nuances. Yeah. Again, balancing kind of that, um, you don't want to present as though, oh, I already know all this. I'm here and I'm an expert. You're learning from them. You're there to learn from them as well. So a, yeah. a, a curiosity that is not competence, but curious as well. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like a balance of those two yeah. things. Yeah. And I, I definitely would not be faking that because it <laughs> would, would be absent. So um, I think the last thing we want to touch on is uh, around partnerships generally, we've noted. And, and maybe you could just say a little bit of something for people who are watching this about, about developing those partnerships, the importance of them, and a bit of a how-to there from your experience. Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, I just certainly increased the video likes by, I think several thousand because your cat has made an appearance. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, there she is. <laughs> That's awesome. No, it's was good. It, Pet appearances always help. <laughs> she's jumped up in my yeah. lap a couple times and I've yeah, tried to shove her away, but <laughs> yeah. oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think from, I certainly, I strongly take the approach that research and our job as researchers should be to involve practitioners that we yeah. shouldn't be working in this silo and especially if you're trying to affect change or you're interested in doing work that has policy implications. I don't see a way to do that without building partnerships with the people who are doing the work in the field. Um, I see those as incredibly important. I think increasingly um, through this type of work that we are involved in, uh, practitioners start to see the the importance in those partnerships as well um, and see how those can help and see that there are researchers out there who want to do this as a joint effort and not just tell them what to do. Um, I think all of those things. um, So I think, and as far as trying to build those partnerships um, again, I mean, I started this, this particular project in 2018 and I, you know, have kept in contact with some of these people. I, some of these individuals now have, you know, partners or friends who are now trying to get into master's programs or PhD yeah. programs. Yeah. And because they've seen, you know, I experienced this working in the field. Yeah. Now I want to try to help it. 
And yeah. so they, they, they're starting to also see the value in, you know, being conducting research. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's great to have those kinds of relationships because it will open up opportunities. It expands your, um, it, it expands that we talk about the challenges you need people to vouch for you. If you build these partnerships, you're building that ability to now research in other areas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, from a selfish perspective, it's important, but yeah. also from kind of that emotional element that we were talking about it's awesome to see uh you know practitioners that you work with see the value in your work and even yeah. call on you as an expert in certain areas you know mm -hmm. hey what's your what are your thoughts on this or yeah. what have you seen about this that applies to a problem i'm having so yeah. i think for it, it 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 goes all directions for both the agencies the actors working there and it's also very beneficial for us if we're wanting to um continue work in this area yeah one of the officers the it's quite high up um in the new south wales police that we work very closely with uh, it's absolutely uh, fascinating and, and 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 he's so enthralled and engaged with the research and his point that he always brings up is that you know police like everyone else can get tunnel vision very quickly and his comment is always it's about taking the blinkers off he says and uh mm -hmm. learning from other people and i think academics very much have the same problem, of course. You know, we are colored by our own kind of environment, yeah. which can be very tight sometimes in terms of perceptions and views and outlooks and things like that. And so if we too take the blinkers off and learn from our research participants and things like that, what, what can be produced in the end is just absolutely fantastic work. And you were talking about some of them entering certain areas. One of these officers specifically, before COVID sadly, was supposed to come to uh, Slovenia for that rural crime conference, was supposed to come to the ESC with us, was actually gonna do a full out kind of Euro trip to meet other agencies, uh, other crime, uh, rural crime agencies, but also participate in the academic work of it all. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to encourage them to do some joint writing and things like that. And it's just been such a fascinating, rewarding experience for, from both parts of learning together from each other, but also trying to bring them a little bit over um, into the research fold because I feel like it just would have so much amazing things to offer us. Yeah. And I love, I love seeing, you know, papers that are jointly written yeah. between someone with a PhD and someone who's worked in the field for X yeah. number of years. Um, it's interesting that you said that because another thing, you know, learning about what is important to the practitioners that they want to see, like they want to see people, come up with some kind of improved way to do X. And yeah. a lot of that I saw with officers um, in terms of their training, the mm. types of training that they have available, and especially in rural areas when um, training might be mandated, but you don't have the funds to try to put something like that together. If they have partnerships yeah. with uh, researchers, they can say, look, this is what we need. Can you help us with that? Um, so finding out, yeah you know, by talking to them and having close relationships with them, you also can find out what, where you should maybe focus your efforts being in a position that you can focus efforts there for, mm. to help them. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I've, I I've, think, I've, uh, I think one of the mistakes I made early on was thinking that everything was about money uh, in the sense of accessing organizations for the pure purpose of having them fund research 
And the value, at least for me personally speaking, so much more than any research funding has been in the working together um, um, to address issues and the sharing of support and resources and things like that. You know, this this, um, uh, farm crime survey that we've done is now informing the new Crime Stoppers campaign here in New South Wales. And that wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for a strong relationship with the police who then brought us into this Crime Stoppers campaign and, you know, research having a tangible output and a practical you know, engagement and impact. And it's just been amazing. It wouldn't have been possible without, without the establishment of this, this kind of working, uh, mutually respectful relationship. Yeah, and, and we already talked about humanizing the hillbillies, humanizing people in these communities, but it also kind of humanizes um, researchers or the yeah. ivory tower as some, yeah. you know, some, I hate to use this word, but lay people see yeah. sometimes, oh, researchers no, no, are totally up in their agree. ivory tower. But, yeah. you know, it, it humanizes you too. We're also just people trying to help yeah. with things. Um, yeah. we're not trying to just sit up here and tell everyone what to do or yeah. how to fix things yeah. that we have no idea what we're talking about, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it's, it goes almost, both ways in terms yeah. of that. Almost every time this person starts a sentence, you know, whether it be in a presentation or something about our relationship, working relationship, it's always, I never would have thought in a million years I'd be here or that we would be talking or that, you know, and, and it truly yeah. never ever thought that would be a reality. You know, I had them yeah. up to you and E to give a talk to the classes and just something that, prior to that, they just never would have imagined that they'd be doing. And so it's, it's it's amazing what can be possible by just humanizing each other and having conversations. Yeah. Yep. Speaking about practice and engagement though, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to plug the ISSRC, the International Society for the Study of Rural Crime. And Mm -hmm. there are many awards. There is a student oriented award. There's an early career researcher oriented award, but there's Mm -hmm. also a practitioner award. And I think I'm really proud to be part of an organization that sees the importance of engaging with practitioners and individuals kind of trying to drive policy forward in their communities. And so um, if there's any practitioners watching, I highly encourage you to apply for this award because we'd like to recognize the amazing work that you do in your communities. Yes, also the roundtables that ISSRC Ah. Um, is a great way to bring practitioners How to the good table. Was that, so that, that, that policing roundtable, yeah. Yeah, the, I, I thought the first one was great. We've got yeah. the second one coming up for yeah. North America um, in September of this year. Yeah. Um, but it's a great pl- it's a great place for for us as academics to learn from practitioners and from practi- for practitioners from all over to learn yeah. from each other. Um, yeah, so it's, Cam was it's saying great like. Opportunity. We had uh, people from Scotland there and Australia and North America and just all over. And, and you had different practitioners. Yeah. There's a bunch of journalists. It was really such an eclectic yeah. group to learn from each other. So, yeah, yeah the ISSRC, I think, is really, yeah, really meeting its mandate. And, and, and uh, yeah, that's such a big thing in bridging kind of what we talked about for majority of this conversation, that yeah. gap between researchers and yes. rural communities or researchers and, and police. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... Is there anything else that you want to touch on or elaborate on? Um, I mean, I, we've covered quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I guess, again, I'll just kind of say the, the Rural Research Methods book that we have coming out, I think is going to be, it's going to expand on some of these things about access yeah. um, and, you know, some of the challenges and the benefits to doing research in these areas and trying to expand into 
expand our partnerships with mm. individuals in these communities. Um, but yeah, I think we've, we've covered a lot of the yeah, main we did points. Get a lot of ground, we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's honestly been yeah. absolutely fascinating and insightful uh, uh, to hear about your experiences and some of these issues um, in undertaking qualitative research in rural spaces. Uh, so we really appreciate you being on the Issues in Rural Crime podcast and I uh, hope uh, all the viewers enjoy as well. Yes, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you.